welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner is that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season one, we're talking all about career breaks. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Today I interview Lorato, a travel writer and author of a pioneering travel memoir called Vagabond, Wandering Through Africa on Faith. It's about how her four-day trip to Accra, Ghana turned into a three-month break in West Africa and ultimately five years of living and traveling around the continent of Africa. And our conversation is incredible. I love the way she tells stories. I personally was so inspired by the way she views travel and just the awareness around what travel means, how it can impact you as a person, and how you really need to let the place you travel enter into your experience versus you as a person just going out and seeing certain things in the world. So I'm not gonna pause any longer. I'm so excited to play today's interview for you. Please enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Travel Possibilities podcast. I am so excited to introduce my guest today because her story is absolutely incredible. I am speaking with Lorato today and she's the author of Vagabond, Wandering Through Africa on Faith. So I'm gonna hand it over to her to introduce herself really quick. So Lorato, thanks for being here. Do you wanna tell us about yourself? Absolutely, Kali. My name is Lerato. I'm based in Johannesburg, South Africa, always reluctantly. And I started traveling in 2008. I went on a four-day trip to Accra. While I was there, I had so much fun. And I thought, well, if I get the right sign, I'm going to quit my job, quit my life, and start traveling around the continent, which I had always wanted to do. So I got my sign, which was, um, it was very random. There's a convenience, there's a supermarket chain in South Africa. They sell everything. They sell clothes, they sell food. You know, they have, it's just the neighborhood shop. It's very, very convenient where you always run. If you need a quick, if you need a top quickly, if you need food quickly, whatever, you just go around the corner. And I just thought, oh, if I see a wheeze, I think it will be a sign that I can completely turn my life upside down and move to a different country, a different region, and a whole new life experience. And then I saw the Woolworths, so I guess that was my sign. <laughs> so I went off. Okay, so it all started with a convenience store chain. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> So let's back up just a little bit. And do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your life before that trip mm. and what your job was like and how you were feeling in your own little world then? Yeah, completely. So I was working as an entertainment and lifestyle journalist, which was really great. I was getting paid to party and whoever came to South Africa, chances are that I would meet them either to interview them 
or you know in the case of john legend ending up being invited to party in his suite right and so it was really really a great gig back then for me i was living the life everything was fabulous it was fast it was incredible and everyone knew my name so that was great but then at the same time i also realized that i had reached the end of the rope and i i wanted to quit my job and in wanting to quit my job I thought, mm, I don't want to get another job because I'm going to be bored, right? I'm over this life. I'm over living in Johannesburg. I'm overseeing the skyline. I love the skyline, but I was overseeing it. And every time I would walk anywhere, I didn't stay far from work. So I walked to work all the time. Every time I walked there, I would stop and, and tell myself, you know, if you close your eyes, you can pretend that this is Timbuktu and just imagine it. What will it look like? You can pretend you are in some random place you've never heard of. Just pretend. And then eventually I said to myself, well, stop pretending and just go because a, I had become very, very bored with my life because I found what I wanted to do. So I was becoming restless from knowing exactly what I wanted to do and not living it. But most importantly, I think I was really starting to realize that one of the easiest dreams you can have is travel because I feel that it ultimately depends on you. Are you going to go or not? Are you going to prioritize it or not? So I was starting to learn that and I was learning that as someone who had never traveled before, ever. Before then, I had only left South Africa four times on work-related trips. And it's a completely different experience for a journalist. You are hosted, you have top everything, everyone is fussing and phoning over you. So I had no experience at all traveling zero experience traveling alone, zero experience living on a budget as a traveler. So I was nervous, I was excited, but most importantly, I felt it as a conviction within me that the time had come and I needed to live my dream of traveling starting with Africa. That is awesome. So first, like your job probably sounds amazing to a lot of people interested, mm. like listening. It's just that high life, but I imagine that could kind of get old. You can only do that kind of job and have that kind of lifestyle for so long before it grows tiring. Is that kind of Absolutely. how you were feeling? Absolutely. And I think, yeah, it, it, exactly that, you know, it sounds like an ideal job and it is, right? Because you're having fun, okay, you're underpaid, but in your 20s, having fun, who cares? You know, you're living your own version of sex and the city in Johannesburg. So that's great. But what working as an entertainment journalist did to me was it you always are surrounded by arts and cultures like celebrities by movers and shakers by people who are living their dream all the time you know and you're interviewing someone and they're like I can't, you know, my dream came true. I won a Grammy. My dream came true. I made reach this milestone. And I kept on thinking to myself, but hang on a second, was my dream to write about other people living their dreams? What is my dream? You know, then let me go write that story, live that dream and write that story. So it was a big catalyst in that in as much as it was fun and I had a great, great time. I also, it, it, you know, I, could, I had to reflect on my life and my dreams and I could not even lie to myself about it because I was constantly surrounded by people building their dreams, living their dreams, expanding the scope of their dreams. 
That's amazing. And so important that you ask yourself the right question because it could be easy just to get stuck in that lifestyle and just go after it. But the fact that you ask yourself, what are my dreams? That's incredible. And my favorite thing that you said is travel is the easiest dream you can have. I, I love that so much because it's true. It's really dependent on you and everything, like just as you said. So I love that perspective a lot. So now that we're at this point, you're like, okay, I'm quitting my job. You went to Accra for four days, then you saw your sign, then what happened? <laughs> so what happened was, when we we came back from Accra, Kalia must tell you, to be African is to be burdened with finding and looking for meaning in everything, absolutely everything. So before I left for Accra, when we were flying, the when we were up in the in the sky and in the clouds, it turned, it became dark, 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 very, very gray, lightning shining and dancing across the sky right and in my language Setswana it's you know when the, the the sky is like that it's gonna rain hard and it's called Lidimo and I love that and that's actually like would have been my name if my mother went with the name that my dad's family wanted to give me so whenever the the weather's like that whenever it's like that and everyone is scared for me it's, it's a good omen I'm like yes can feel it in my bones so I kept on saying to everyone guys I don't know what's gonna happen in a crop but I'm wide open I'm wide open you know and and I think a I was looking back you know, I think mm, maybe not so much, right? Um, maybe I was being naive or being a little innocent due to lack of experience, but that was great. But what that happened was that I, I got in Accra and I loved everything. I loved every step of the way. And it was simple. It was just a four day media trip. There wasn't a lot we did around exploring. We just had some time to ourselves and went to the market, went shopping, the usual stuff, went to the beach. But what that trip did to me, and this is so important with traveling, it was my first ever encounter travel-wise with the understanding that also traveling is not, you know, just showing up and doing something. The place that you visit also plays a role. It also shapes the experience. It also influences the experience. And it's almost like you have to partner with the destination itself for it to be a meaningful experience, right? So before then, for instance, oh no, in fact, on this trip, there was someone who hated Accra. He hated it. He said, oh, I hate Accra. I cannot believe anyone would want to come to Accra. And I thought, why do you hate it? And the same things I loved, he hated. It is loud. It is busy, it is pulsating, everyone on the go, it just feels like an explosion of sounds, of colors, of people, of actions, of busyness, it's a lot, he said it's a lot, and it is a lot, but for me, it, it, it commanded the attention of my senses 24-7, I never felt as alive as I did back then in those four days, every single thing seemed to say, do you see how wonderful it is when you explore the world beyond what lies around your corner? And do you see how internally valuable it is to present yourself with an open mind and an open heart to places so you get from them what they shape you to be? You don't just been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you come back and you can sit with 
with your memories of the experience, you can reflect on it. And for me, when I'm going through that process, if when I look at everything else and my last line about it, the final thing I can say to close an experience when reflecting is journeys create journeys internal and external. Then I know I'm like, yeah, great. This is why I'm a vagabond. This is why I'll always leave everything to go off to wherever my heart says go to next. That's incredible. I could like, I just feel so excited listening to you speak about travel and the fact that you were a more novice traveler at the time and you had that Mm. insight is incredible because for me, like that's something that took me a long time to learn. When I first started Mm. traveling, I was kind of just checking boxes, like trying Mm. to make other people think that I made the right decision to quit my job and travel but that is not what it's about. And like, you really hit the nail on the head with the way you described that. And so tell us about what it was like to quit your job. How did that conversation go? And what happened next? (coughs) It was so much fun. You know, my favorite thing about being young is that you're not thinking about responsibilities. Even when you programmed to think that way, and I think a lot of us are, ultimately you can make a decision that is so random, so careless. Like, you know, I remember I was, I, I was out with my friend and we were, she was, were we, yes, we were smoking, we were standing leaning against the, the, the wall, smoking cigarettes. And I said to her, so anyway, I'm resigning and I'm going traveling. And she says, oh, okay. And then she turns around and says, when? And I'm like, hmm, I'll see in a couple of months time, but I'm definitely resigning now. I'm just like working towards that, just resigning and getting, setting up a few things. And then everyone else I told kept saying, oh, okay, curious. And then what? And then none of us stopped to think, I'm really going to need a lot of money or sufficient money. I didn't have, I, I was broke all the time, but I was living on the road. And, and I, you know, I didn't speak French, didn't know anything. And I could just say, basically, because also English is not spoken in every African country. And I started in a French-speaking country and a French-speaking region, mostly. So it also felt like, I honestly, looking back, I have I don't understand what the hell I was thinking. But the beauty of that is that because I wasn't thinking, I could just start from a space of freedom, you know, because oftentimes with traveling and when I speak to people, you know, like a lot of people want to travel. Like a lot of people want to travel if they are not doing it. They want to travel, even if they don't want to do it long-term, right? They still want to experience traveling. And everyone always asks me, you must have been so brave. You must be so courageous. And I just always say to everyone, I actually didn't overcomplicate it. I wanted to travel and I went. I didn't have a lot of money. And as soon as I got to Senegal, I started running out of money because of course I'm horrible with budgeting. Like if, if, if traveling was a test then you could pass or fail and that would be the passport, I would fail all the time. And, and I didn't have money. And, and I just got there and trusted that things would happen right i would be taken care of and that i would find my way and that i could also free myself from wanting to tick boxes and to also step out of the fear there's initial i had initial anxiety because i wasn't used to everything being new and everything was new all the time and in a language that i didn't understand so my thoughts and feelings also had to be 
they had to be filtered because they needed to be communicated at a very basic level that someone else who's also not an English speaker could understand me at minimum. So, you know, I didn't feel like myself. I couldn't express myself fully. I couldn't articulate myself clearly. People didn't fully understand me. And because I didn't know everything as well, I also needed to let go and trust people. And, and, and suddenly, I remember my first day in my first morning in a in Dakar when I left and now um I, I left my job six like when I said I would resign in December 20 in December in, in December and then in May I let I, I resigned in June I went to Senegal and I remember my first morning in Dakar thinking to myself this was supposed to be my big moment of independence my big declaration of independence I'm not just independent I'm uber independent look at me so able to just quit my life and move to different regions and do my own thing i'm as in, as independent as i've always said i am then i arrive i don't know anything and not only that now here's this strange man bless him helping me now my life now literally depends on this strange man i've handed my life to the patriarchy i'm like hmm, another travel script that played in my head but i also started learning to 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 not be to live a little bit outside of myself to leave a lot of room for life to happen to leave a lot of room to to not be the the version of myself that i've always been and have always known and to not be threatened by the changes right um for me the one of the changes that would have previously been threatening was that threatening in the sense that i would feel that i'm losing myself and then it would be time to really buckle down and make sure that i don't lose myself was when i lived in mali in bamako someone invited me to stay at their house and you know it was a house with like at any point there was at least 12 to 15 people most of them guys and because i lived in this house um we all contributed to the upkeep to you know paying for the cleaning lady for food, but there was only another woman. And with me, there was two of us. And I couldn't allow myself to not be domestic and help her cook, even though in my life in South Africa, I don't necessarily cook. I don't care about domestic things. And if I'm not in the mood, I'm not in the mood. But then it felt like I would be making another woman serve me by me resisting the need to serve men who are sitting down and doing nothing right so it's just like let me lean towards being supportive for her and being present for her versus defying that you guys are just sitting and expecting food and drinks to just find you under the shade so things like that that's what i appreciated i call them the gifts from my travels learning to be softer on myself learning to embrace myself as i am right um i mean i'm a fat person and i've always been fat and one of the things that has always been very strange for me in my body is that i don't have a problem with it because it's always been this way and it's the only body i know and in any case i don't believe in problematizing myself but i could never really find clothes that I loved. In South Africa, our cultural reference is multiracial, but there's also a lot of Western influences and a lot of Americanization, right? So um, as compared to say West Africa, where you're also surrounded by 
African print all the time where fashion exists not you know what yeah where it exists beyond the confines of pop culture and what a, a typical body figure look should be and there I was in Mali seeing women three times my size beautiful rigor turning heads you know and from just from their outfit and I'd never have that in Joburg I'd never have that for as long as I would wear retail then I was like oh hang on this is actually the beauty definition that you belong to, right? So like introduce this switch into your life. Then I introduced it and just started dressing like the women I was seeing in West Africa, but particularly Senegal, Mali, and Ivory Coast. And I think those things are not necessarily things you leave home for, you don't travel for that. And you don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily see the moments when everything else was happening. I was just being, I was embracing a new chapter and embracing a new life and assimilating to that new life. And then when I stepped out of it and stopped living on the road full time and settled back into what was my old life, I could also then re reinvent myself and reimagine myself, but make that come from a place where it hadn't before, make it internal. Like the thing I said about journeys creating internal and external journeys. So the external journey was that I went on a trip for four days, then I quit my life and I was supposed to go for three, three months. Then I went for five years. And then after five years of living on the road full time, I'm like, hmm, I'll go back to South Africa. Then I came back to South Africa, but ever so often, I just like go away for a few months again somewhere, right? And that's the, the external journey. The internal journey has been just a time in a moment with myself of understanding myself more, of making more effort to know myself, loving myself differently, loving myself from the perspective of the love of the people that I met and what they poured into me. My favorite thing about traveling African, everyone says this and it's the truth, is that we are amazing. We, the people, make the experience. The continent has, it has the, the awesome nature. It has the incredible adventures. It has everything else that one would travel for. But on top of everything else, we also have the heart and souls of people. And to experience love, right, to be surrounded by love, and that love is articulated differently everywhere you go, but you know that it comes from love. I think that was the most, um, most powerful and life-changing encounter of my life. That's incredible like I just love how you speak about the continent of Africa and all the things you've learned and I love the distinction between the internal and external journey and you really your awareness is so powerful and I love that and I think that's so important for everyone to just notice how you're feeling in these places be mm -hmm. open-minded allow whatever happens to happen instead of bringing your own life to the place you need to kind of mm. just be open and take in the place that you are and assimilate in that way absolutely absolutely that is so important um i think you miss out a lot when you only see yourself as in a place to to tick off your bucket list i have a bucket list to all these places our first encounter with travel is not the unseen is what you see. It's when you see that pink leg and, and imagine yourself with a nice frosty drink next to it, or you know, you see the sun setting and you're like, oh, I'd love to be on a beach at sunset. Those are the things that will make you travel, right? Like, oh, I wanna go to the Empire State Building. But once you get there, you also leave, if you don't leave room, for the experience to be its own thing, you're not going to create memories, 
yeah, you're not gonna create memories that you won't forget them because you paid for them. And I guess it was great because you're doing some of the things you wanted to do. But you know, the, for me, the best, best memories, whenever I'm just sitting randomly, things that cross my mind out of the blue, are not necessarily when I went and saw the pyramids after dreaming about them and wanting to see them when I was eight. You know, it's not about, it's not about where, it's not, yeah, it's not about going to heritage sites because I love them and I do all these things. It's not about the adventures, the swimming with dolphins in, in Zanzibar, working with lions in Zimbabwe, rafting the Nile in Uganda. Those things matter. But the thing that I remember the most, for instance, would be when I was in Sudan and no one spoke English and I didn't know where I was going. I just had a picture. So I showed up at a taxi rank taxi station and I showed them a picture and they didn't know where I was going and then someone said oh hang on a second I know someone who has a, a cousin who speaks English let me call them and they called that person and that person spoke to me and said hang on wait for me there and instead of just giving me directions or telling them where I was going which he did he also came to meet me and explained everything to me in person how to get there what will happen next when I get in a cab with the guy that I'd be traveling with, how long it would take. And he was available throughout, from the moment we met, he was available on WhatsApp for, as a point of reference for me about everything, right? Um, I remember, I remember with Bamako, Bamako, because I lived there for six months. One of my favorite memories is one day I went to get a taxi to town, to get a cab to town. And it, it was, um, someone whose cab I just coincidentally always ended up flagging. So we had seen each other um, several times in the months that I spent in Bamako. Then one day we, we spoke and he said, my God, you can now speak and understand French. Now you drive such a hard bargain because you now have the language and the tools to be yourself fully, myself fully talkative, you know, <laughs> making random jokes, being a, a bit of a hot mess sometimes. <laughs> and it was so nice to, for him to say that, you know, like I finally, I finally belonged in this new life that I was creating for myself. And, and that moment would not have happened if when, before I went to Mali the second time, I was in, in Abidjan, in Ivory Coast, and I wanted to go to the Festival of the Desert. The lady at the Malian embassy said to me, a two-month visa is random. Why are you applying for a two-month visa? And I said, well, because I'm broke. So I need to think, you know, am I going to pay your visa fees or am I just going to take two months and then move on to the next country? Then she said, well, if that's the only reason and I give you four months on the house, will you stay the whole six months and just see what happens? And I said, yes, of course, of course. And, and I stayed that six months, just based off this encounter that lasted three seconds. And she said, do you promise to stay six months? I was like, yes, of course, I promise to stay six months. I ended up staying eight months and just seeing what happens. And it's, it's so great. You know, you can't put value to it. You can't put, you can't put hashtags to you. You can, but you know what I mean? There's more when you think of those things and you think about just that moment and you're like, ah, it's me. When I lived in Mali, this one time I told you that I used to help the lady ask to cook. So Astum 
as a social butterfly, you know, always off to a party. And Malian women are vain. Malian women look drop dead gorgeous all the time, all the time. So when it's a wedding and a special event, it just becomes a fashion spectacular, off to shop for gold, off, off to buy yards and yards of cloth to turn into fanciful dresses and so on. So she had gone to town and she was running late. Because she was running late, I thought, ah, I'm home, let me cook. And I started cooking. I made a fire, I started cooking. One of the neighbors started calling out her name because she thought Astu was home, but it wasn't Astu, it was me. You know, it was me. I had, I was finally Lerato living in West Africa, living in Mali, Bamako. And, you know, just those moments for me are priceless. But like, I'm just so excited because I totally get it. Those are the moments that matter. It's the human connection. It's the like intangible things that you can't really describe. Mm. Just when you see amazing things, it's incredible, but that's all a bonus. So for those, like for people who have seen amazing things and get really excited by that, just imagine how much deeper your connection and your travel can be by creating space and having the time to allow these experiences to happen. And I think part of it mm -hmm. is you do need that time to allow things to happen organically. And it's not really possible when you're just taking short vacations with a job. I mean, you can get a taste mm -hmm. of it, but it's not at the depth of what you can truly experience with more time. Absolutely. That's I'm such a big believer in taking a travel break. Just put everything on hold and dedicate some months. I'd say yes, because I struggle disconnecting. <laughs> but you know, um, I, I I take some months and just go on a very very big adventure. You know, you get to meet a different version of yourself. You get to to also see the fullness of the world is bigger than what's around your corner. It's, it's, it's so strange, we're all the same. The more you travel, the more you realize that people are all the same. We all get hungry, we all want food, we all love love, we all you know get tender and need some TLC, we all get angry. You just realize that we are com connected and bonded by so much as human beings, right? We really are one human family. But then also you see the little differences in our cultures and how we express ourselves. And then those also add a different layer to how you understand our connections and being alike, uh, being, being like a human family and having so much in common, but also not necessarily always being similar to a T. And for me, that, that has been something that I observe a lot around hospitality, because I think how you welcome a stranger says a lot about the national character. Um, in, 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 in West Africa, when I was traveling in West Africa, oftentimes I didn't have a place to stay and I didn't know where I would be staying. And, and everyone would just take care of it for me, everyone. Like I never worried, I knew I could just like, once in, in Ivory Coast, on the first day that I arrived there, I didn't have money. And I said to, to the cab driver, please just take me to this place, place called Vilashki. Excuse me. He thought I would pay him when I got there. And I kept on explaining, no, 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 I don't have money. But he took me anyway. And then when we go to Vilashki, um, I had only read about them because of the woman who founded it, Wereweri Liki. So that's the only place I knew in Abidjan then. 
they had never met me and I show up like I think it was 9 p.m at night and I'm like hi my name is Lerato perfect stranger need a place to stay and the only concern was oh the flat is, is a little dusty because no one has been there for a while do you mind hanging out in the office for some time while we just get it ready right and I would like do that I so many stories of West Africa and arriving, not knowing where to go, what to do, and everyone else taking care of it. And I love that about West Africa. I love, love that about West Africa. And then in, in, in Egypt, in Egypt, people love you with food. Like food is a serious love language. Someone, if an Egyptian invites you to their house for a meal, it's rude to flee, so go, but like, you've been warned, you will be fed, you will be fed and fed and fed. And you know, you if you say you can't say no, you know what I mean? It takes a lot for an Egyptian to like hear that no. And, and also before you go, someone, when they invite you, they're not going to just like give you a sandwich. They take it very seriously. So they're gonna cook multiple dishes and you're gonna eat and it's gonna be a feast. And if you say, Oh, I love watermelon. I once said to someone, I love watermelon. They invited me over to the house for watermelon. Give me a whole watermelon. I'm like, yeah, usually when you love watermelon, you have a slice or two. You know, like you've had a watermelon, you don't just like finish the whole one in one sitting. But you know, that's how they 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 love with food. It's it's the love, the national love language in Sudan and in the desert. And this is my favorite one because I think there's so much. It dignifies a person without it being earned. In in Sudan, um, where was I? Was I in Mere? I think I was in a place called Mere. Yes. No, no, no. I was in Port Sudan. I was in Port Sudan. And, and I noticed that whenever I'm, I'm walking around, whenever I'm just walking around, I see a lot of clay jars with water, like big, big ones then they would be on the streets, outside shops, and in people's yards. And then I started, because I saw that so clearly that time, I started noticing it everywhere else. I went around Sudan from that point onwards. Then when I got back to Khartoum, I went to a, a place called Omdurman to, to, to the graveyards, yes, because there's um, there's a shrine of a Sufi leader there. So I went, I love graveyards. It's a story for another day. Love them, love them, love, love, love them. So I went there and, and then I saw that that entire street was filled with all these cans of, of clay jars. Now, as the lady, I was with why, and she said, it's drinking water. Sudan is the desert, it hot. The, the desert gets quite oppressively hot during the day. And she said, we just put water out for anyone. Anyone just replenishes it if it's close to your house. Because why should anyone have to ask for water in the desert? Every time you're thirsty, you must open your mouth to ask for water or you must pay for it if you're not at your house. So in Sudan, people make sure that you're never thirsty and you can have your glass of water without having to ask for it. It's like something so simple, right? You don't think, it means anything, but when you actually think about how hot the desert is and how oppressive that heat can be, like even when you're used to it, you sweat, there's just like a lot and, and there's water and you can drink freely. And after a long day, if you go to someone's house, they're like, oh yeah, I have a shower. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Incredible. I love these stories. They're so exciting. It's like everything I love about travel and I'm so happy you're here sharing them. 
So you mentioned a few times about being broke while traveling. Can you speak mm. a little bit more on that? I know you relied on the kindness of strangers quite often, mm. but did you make any money along the way at any point or how did you navigate that? I made money. So I worked as a freelance journalist and A, it's horribly paid, horribly paid. And secondly, you never get paid on time. I didn't know that like universally freelancers and invoices, it's a universal struggle. So technically I always had some sort of income that was coming, but it was never in my bank account exactly what I needed it. So yes, there was money, but it was also always running out. And because it was running out, at first I was frustrated. Then one time I sat with my thoughts again and I said to myself, well, it looks like this money situation is here to stay. Like you will always never be paid on time or sometimes you just won't get enough invoices sent out and whatnot. So it can be a crisis. What are you going to do about it? And my what to do about it was I was going to tell everyone else how they can help me. So I would just show up randomly. Kali, if I showed up in your town and I saw you and your friends sitting there enjoying your drinks, you're, you're friendly, you're approachable. I'd come say hi and be like, so anyway, do you know a cheap place where I can stay? In fact, can I stay at your house for free? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, some people would look at me like, oh, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, let's see where this crazy is going. And once I, I met, if you meet one person and they host you, you get to meet that community. And then it starts turning into a chain of events just around taking care of you. When I was in living Mali, I wanted to go to Benin. And one of the guys in the house where I lived with 15 other people just said to me, oh, you know, you shouldn't worry if you want to go to such and such a place. This is where my family is from. This is everyone's numbers. You don't even have to call them. You don't need to say anything. You can just show up. Let me write you the address. Let me write like a note in French. So if I need to tell someone what to do, I'd have an explanation to help me get there. And, and that's what happened. When I was in, in Kenya, when Southern Sudan was voting to, to separate from North Sudan, I wanted to write a story about that. And um, I was super broke and I was running out of money. I, the amount of money I had could only get me a ticket to Kakuma in Trukana, and I didn't have money to go back. And I thought, oh, I'm going to sell my cell phone, but it was a really, really like entry level phone. Everyone kept on laughing at me when they saw what I was trying to, to, to sell. And I told one person, oh, I'm, I'm selling a phone because I need money to go back to Nairobi. And she said, he said, oh, sister, please, what a joke and laughing. No one is going to buy your phone. And it's, it's no one is using that phone in 2010. You know, you also know that. We don't know why you have it, but no one is going to buy it. And then he said, but let's go to the police station. We went to the police station and he told some police officers that I needed money to go back to Nairobi. And this guy called his other friends and they pulled in money together. They gave me money for my ticket back to Nairobi. They gave me money to buy uh, but because um, I look for, for the translations, like food for the road, like when you stop at a cafe, money for water, you know, here's money if you want to buy airtime, things like that. And it's so, you know, it's so great. I have so many stories of that where, yes, I think money is important because money allows you to, it gives you freedom. I think it gives you 
mental freedom more than anything because even without money you can still travel Africa in the sense that there will always be people who will help you there will always be there will always be someone who considers it the single most important mission of their life at that point in time to make sure that what you want is sorted either you want a lift you will get it if you want a place to stay you will get it so many people so many people who travel around africa um long term and adventurously who are africans some that i know of didn't necessarily have money right um or at some stage you start realizing that this money is going to run out and I need to sort of make it work. And, and then the, the easiest thing to do is to ask other people to host you. You can use hosting platforms, but in Africa too, also a hosting platform is you showing up and saying, knock, knock, hi, how are you? My name is Lerato, may I please have a place to stay? This is why, and getting it. Wow. You know, in fact, you don't even have to have the time. I didn't even have to say it. I would just stand there and I, I'd like come down before someone came to rescue me. Once in, in Mozambique, I was going from uh, Nampula. I was going from Nampula to Pemba and someone just said to me, no, there are buses there all the time. You can just show up. So I went there and I waited. I waited for a bus and then it became dark and some guy from a house across the street came over and said, I see that you've been waiting for quite a while now. And at first I thought you're just waiting for a taxi to go to wherever, but I see that you're actually maybe waiting for transport that's not going to come. Where are you going? I told him I'm going to Pemba. He said, yeah, well, there's no transport to Pemba. Long, like, long trips the buses for long distance trips would leave around 3 or 4 a.m so you won't find you won't find transport then he said would you like to come stay at my at my house it's, I'm, I'm visiting my grandmother i'm with my cousins do you want to come stay the night sleep over i went there and i spent the night and in the morning when it was time for me to leave because the buses drive by there then he said to me in the morning he let me know when to wake up it was too early and i was tired i didn't feel like waking up then he said to me don't worry there's another person who's a truck driver who's going to go through where you're going so you can get a ride with him and and then I went with these two guys that I had never met before and just slept my whole way through only waking up like to to like have tea and coffee and when I was hungry to have lunch right and for me this I'm sharing this story because a I want women to know that you don't need anything other than who you already are to travel. You don't need to be brave. You don't need an extra layer of bravery or strength or courage. No, as you are, as you want to go, you can go and you can navigate every new and unknown situation and place successfully without any experience. Because again, I don't, I inherently believe in the good of people. And then there are doji people and I've had doji encounters and like, you know, you read a situation, but those things also find me when I'm out clubbing in Joburg, right? So I can't suddenly put destinations under a, a, a magnifying glass and look for things that I don't normally put under a magnifying glass here. Secondly, 
the, uh, also the perception that Africa is not necessarily 100% safe to travel or that it's a challenge to travel. I think the biggest challenge about traveling Africa is that buses, public transport barely leaves on time. So if you're expecting to leave at seven, just tell yourself that it will leave eventually. If it leaves at seven, good for you, but it will leave, it will leave eventually. So pack your patience. And then another thing is that people are very, very sociable. So you, you have to make room to socialize, whether you like it or not. You have to, because everyone is curious. They want to know who you are, where you're from. They want to invite you over for tea. They want to feed you. Oh, this continent and being fed. My God, I love it. But like, oh, you will be fed. You will be fed. That's amazing. And so you just touched on it a little bit, but can you, like relying on strangers is important mm. when traveling around the continent of Africa. Can you tell us about a time where maybe you had like a intuition, like you relied on your gut to be like, oh, this isn't a good situation. I cannot rely on this person. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, hang on. I had a guy, so so this was a complete surprise, right? So I had a, this one time I had, I had, there's an incident. When I was in, in Ghana, I went to a place called Takradi and I was waiting the next day to catch a bus to Ivory Coast. So whenever I, I travel, I love bringing attention to myself. You must know that I'm a stranger because that's how I'm going to make friends. That's how I'm going to connect. In Ghana, they love Lucky Dube, like love Lucky Dube more than any other group of people I've met, I think. So when a Lucky Dube song plays, I get up, I dance, I sing along. So you can tell that I know all the lyrics. I can sing along in, in that language. So definitely I must be South African. Oh, you want to know how I how come I know it so well? So these guys came over to the table and they asked me, Where are you from? How are you doing? Where are you going? The usual story. Then we parted. And then afterwards, we were at a restaurant. Then afterwards, they invited me to go to one of their houses, one of their homes. And as we were walking, I just thought to myself, gosh, I don't know these guys. And I can barely see during the day with my glasses on. So I definitely can't see in the dark. So I always need to be in a familiar place. So I always need to be in a familiar territory when I'm in the dark, I need to, my feet must carry me to, to wherever home is without my eyes being involved because my eyes are useless like that. They've checked out. So as I'm working with them, I panic and I just say, do you know what? We have to go back. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. I'm also very vocal. Um, I'm very uncomfortable because I don't know you and um, I can't see in the dark. So I'm feeling very vulnerable. I'd rather not go there. So let's go back to hang out where we're hanging out. And they said to me, I will completely understand because you know, you're coming from South Africa and South Africa, of course, the gender-based violence in, in our country is high and, and all that. So in South Africa as a woman, I'm always on the lookout. So I would carry that lookout mode all the time, like being hyper-vigilant. It's actually not being, it's being hyper-vigilant and I would carry it. And so what that meant is that you see when people would be reaching out, I'd like automatically be like, men, men, danger, 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 GBV, GBV. And they said to me, we understand where you're coming from, but remember that you're in a different place now. So we're gonna walk you back to where we met and we're gonna hang out still and then we'll go back to our homes without you. But just remember that, right? just remember that there's, 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 
there's imminent danger that you can see, but then there's also being scared and hypervigilant because of where you come from and, and how that has programmed your brain around safety. That was great because I wasn't even conscious that I, I was, I would pull off. And then after that, I started going, oh, hang on, I've actually been doing that so much. And then I started relaxing a little bit. But when I was in Ethiopia, when I was in Ethiopia, there's a there's a guy, his name was Addis. I was in Hara. I love Hara in Ethiopia because it's, can I swear, it's effing crazy, effing crazy. Hara is, is one of the holiest cities in, in Islamic, in the Islam, in Islam. It's the fourth holiest city. It's ancient. It was founded centuries ago. It has over, is it over 80 mosques, right? And it has shrines, you know, it's small, but there's like, even if it's just a tiny little mosque, it's amazing, it's epic. But Hara, unlike what you would expect a holy place, Hara, in Hara, it's always the right time to drink. It's always the right time to party. And at midday, the town shuts down because everyone is chewing this leaf, this stimulant called cut and everyone is chewing it. And cart is a very social thing. It, you don't, it's not like a cigarette, you just like puff, puff, it's finished. When you, you are chewing, chat with someone, it's, it's gonna spend hours of conversation, of getting to know each other. So then I spend the afternoon with Addis, drinking beer, eating, chewing cart. Then it's late, I go to my hotel room. Next thing he knocks at my door, he starts kissing me. And I'm like, Addis, life is not the movies. So just what press me against the wall? What rubbish is that? And then I tell him, no, no, no. And he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't stop trying to kiss me and all of that. And I'm like, Addis, I'm not playing hard to get. Like, I can see that you are getting in your own way right now. You're about to cause great harm to yourself because I'm, I'm going to definitely attack you. Um, but, you know, you need to stop. And he wouldn't stop. And, and I don't know if I panicked or that South living in a, in a country that is so violent towards women. But I immediately switched. I thought, okay, cool. I'm going to make him think that, oh yeah, you little press me against the wall. No, no, I'm going to make you think that I was playing hard to get and it worked. So I kissed him, but only so that I could undo his top and bite his teeth and hold on and hold on. And he tried to push me and when he pushed me, I'd go with his flesh like this. And the only thing, you know, I only let go when I was tired and he was so scared and freaked out. And the next day when he saw me, he ran away. So that was the only incident where, where the, I was in harm and it wasn't, it wasn't a stranger. I mean, yeah, it was not someone I knew very well, right? But like, it also wasn't someone I met just now. It was someone I'd been hanging out with and like trusted and, you know, had befriended in the moment like I do, like one often does when one is traveling. So other than that, there, there really wasn't any incident. But what that, and it's the only incident, I've been traveling since 20, 2008, it's the, only, it's the only incident. But what that also taught me was that um, I also needed to, because I never think about danger and I never think about, I never think about anything except, of course, this is gonna work out, this is gonna be perfect. It's a bit naive, but it works for me and I stand by it. What that made me realize as well was when other people were retelling my story for me. So when I was 
listening to my friend retelling me what I just told them. And they were like, hmm, it sounds like someone was trying to assault you, <laughs> you know? And I, and I was thinking, oh, hang on, hmm, interesting and true. So what does that mean then? Like, how do I navigate strangers meeting, befriending and partying and all those things? Then I just thought, then I just started thinking, oh, then it maybe needs to be like a layer of very, very public activity where we're not just like at a bar drinking, whatever. We like at a big cafe and there's everyone. And then, you know, you don't necessarily know where I am. Like we, we meet here and... I go my direction to the hotel, you go your direction to wherever it is that you stay. But I also don't necessarily um, do that a lot. Where I'm like, oh, you just don't know where I stay. Because A, this is just a me thing though. Um, I know how to, to protect myself, I hope. So far it has worked. <laughs> so uh, I think I know how to protect myself. But not only that, um, I think... I also have enough experience traveling generally and generally being a street smart, street smart person to always have my radar on, my BS radar on and to always just be on the lookout and just see what's happening. Sometimes being on the lookout is not necessarily like alert for danger. Uh, like I said, I am a journalist essentially and I trained as a journalist. One of the things you do is notice absolutely everything, like everything, everything, everything. And I just started going to experience some spaces with that mindset where you are noticing absolutely everything and you can see if maybe people are being dodgy. The dodginess that I've often observed has been seeing other people trying to be dodgy to someone else and stepping in like, oh, I think that they think they're gonna take you for a ride, be warned. I think that's like, it's such an important story because you traveled for years and years and years and this is the one incident. So that's important to yeah. note that like, the world feels scary sometimes, we see things on the news, it seems like the scary place, but it's really not in the grand scheme of things. And I think mm. it's great to like have the mindset that everything's going to work out, that it is safe while still being aware that like things can happen, things can work out and still happen. So it's, mm. I really like that story. And I think it's important to bring awareness to that. So it's, it's not unsafe. Like, and of course nothing is safe. Things happen in your home country all the time, probably worse things than like when you're on your travels and whatnot. So mm. I think bringing light to that is really important as well. So when you set off on your travels, was your plan always to write a book or is that something that came during your travels or when you finished or tell us about your book? I was always going to write a book. I knew that I would write a book about my travels. I just didn't know what that book would be. I didn't know what the story would be until I started writing it. And then I found a publisher and worked on it. And it's not in the same version, half of it, right? But basically, when I started traveling, from the moment I arrived in, in Senegal, in Dakar, the moment I stepped off the plane, I was like, oops, this feels a lot like the beginning of a book. It feels a lot like an intro. And I wrote it, I wrote it in 2000, I arrived in 2008, I wrote that intro in 2009. 
and the book was only published in 2019 because then I knew that what the story would be. I knew what the experience was going to be after everything else. Like, like I, 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 I didn't want to just go there and tell you that I went there and this is what I did. I wanted it to be a very, I wanted it to be an encounter with Africa, not just as a destination, but as a home. I wanted to be, to also have enough experience and language to be able to reflect on this experience, which is a great privilege to, re to reflect on it, but also do so in a way that carries my personality and point of view a lot. So when I started working on Vagabond, I took I looked at the entire journey and then I took moments that were pivotal to, to, the, to, to the growth and then my transitioning as a traveler. I think even as a storyteller, you can tell, well, I can tell, you know, the difference between the first, the draft of the intro that I wrote in 2009 and the one that I have now, right? Even though they're related. So I knew that I would write a book and I knew that I would tell that story because the Africa has always uh, attracted adventurers, you know, it's, it's for all types of reasons back then and even now, but very, very few of those stories are written by Africans. Very few still are written by women. And I wanted, to, to write exactly because I'm a woman, because I'm an African and I wanted to write from my voice and from that perspective because, you know, um, what's that, was it Chinua Achebe? I'm about to butcher someone's words. <laughs> until the lions learn to tell their story, until the lions learn to write, the story will always glorify the hunter, something like that. I may be butchering it and bastardizing it, but what it means is that, if you don't tell your story, other people are going to tell your story for you. And it, it's like that with Africa as a destination. There's so many stories of travel and experiencing Africa that exist and that are out there, but none of them are really, a few of them are told by people who look like me. I cannot wait to read it. I'm gonna get it as soon as we finish this conversation because I love how you tell stories orally. So I know I'm going to love the book as well. So I'm so excited. And we're going to link it in the show notes so people can find mm -hmm. it more easily. Um, before we wrap up, this has been incredible. Can you offer one actionable tip for someone who's kind of feeling stuck in their life or in their job and they want to take a break to travel, but they don't feel like they yes. can? Yes. Set up a traveling fund and save if you if you want to travel and you want to truly experience the the freedom and taste the sweetness you know when you watch other people living their lives and you think oh your life looks so amazing you're always traveling the game changer is not having any debt for me the game changer was not having any debt at all and the not having debt only happened in the past three four years but if you don't have a lot of debt, if you don't have unnecessary debt, because some, some you can't avoid, but if you don't have unnecessary debt, you have more money to save and set saving a saving goal and stick with it so that you have the minimum amount of money you need to feel empowered when you think through ideas about your idea of traveling. Because of course, if you say you want to travel, the first thing you must buy is a ticket out of town, you know? And then the next thing you must consider is what you want to do, how to navigate, 
appreciate living on the road and it, it requires money. So you must definitely have a travel fund and save. But most, most importantly, just go, just go, just go, just go. It is, it sounds very easy. It sounds very simplistic. But ultimately, it just comes down to do not overthink it. Pick a, pick a place in the world, any place in the world that is for you, that you've always been curious about, that you want to experience. And if you can just start with a month there, that's fine. Start with a month. Find an, a place to, to rent like so that you feel comfortable, particularly if you don't have traveling experience. So you are new, you're in a new environment, but settled and grounded because you have a flat or a, a property that you're renting. So that feels a lot like home and that feels like a control environment but go do not delay do not overthink it and do not listen to anyone who says that you must delay it until later and anyone includes your own internal voice especially your own internal voice great advice thank you so much and if people want to learn more about you where can they find you online they can find me on my social media channels at Madame Africa. The Africa is written with a K, so Madame Africa. Perfect. And we're going to link that all in the show notes as well. Lorato, thank you so much for being here. I loved our conversation so much. I love your stories, and I absolutely cannot wait to read your book. To everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode. A career break is more than escaping reality for a short time. It's an intentional break that will help you recover from the corporate burnout, fuel your inspiration through exploration, and ignite your fire for life. The next round of my signature program, Career Break Bootcamp, will be back this December. If you dream about leaving your job in exchange for some full-time travel, but don't know how to get started, this program is for you. You can find the link to hop on the waitlist inside the show notes so that you don't miss out. This is your life. What are you waiting for? Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, Come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.